What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to Experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. at Los Angeles 2023. Oh, welcome to Out on the Lanai, the only Golden Girls podcast you're ever going to need to listen to. I am Sadie Pines slash H. Allen Scott. Thank you. And I'm Carrie Doherty. You're welcome. You're welcome. And this is a podcast where we used to and sometimes still do watch episodes of the Golden Girls and then talk about them. But we ran out of episodes a while ago and now we're back to them. And then we watched all of the Golden Palace, you know, the spinoff. And then we ran out of those episodes. So now, now we do whatever the hell we want. Yes, today we are doing a Beyond Golden Girls episode where we cover the many film and TV projects that B, Betty, Rue, and Estelle did outside of the Golden Girls during the course of their careers. And today we are covering a B project. We just watched the 1988 ABC TV movie, My First Love, which is basically a long episode of the Golden Girls, but a sliding doors version where Dorothy never divorced Stanley and he instead died and she <laughs> enters the dating world as a widow instead of a divorcee. Uh, and you can watch this movie on YouTube. We will link it in the show notes. H. Allen Scott, we have not yet talked about our thoughts about this motion picture. Yeah. What did you think? Okay, let me say, I mean, I loved it, of course. Um, And I loved, so, okay, when I was a kid, and because TV movies, with the expansion of cable and all of that, TV movies are very different nowadays. Very, very different. Now they're primarily the, the generic Christmas movies you'll see on, like, Netflix and stuff. Like, they're very... They've been so there's a there's a there's a rhythm to them now that is very sort of noticeable. Whereas there's a formula. Yes. You need to have a gazebo. There's a lot of <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. Whereas in the late well, when in the eighties, which I would argue is the heyday of television made for television movies, but also in the nineties a little bit, there was a, a it was <laughs> I don't know. It was cinematic in a way, but it was also very television and kind of slow, but they would allow moments for someone to reflect on screen, which you wouldn't see often on television because you're so used to fast-paced television. And I remember, because I love a TV movie, I especially love a bad TV movie. This is not a bad TV movie. This no. is not a great TV movie, but it is a good TV movie. And one of the things that I used to do Whenever TV movies were on, either at night or on Lifetime or whatever, they would always put me to sleep. Always put me to sleep. And I watched this in the afternoon today. And I, now, mind you, I'm a busy person. I'm not to brag, but I'm a busy person. And I was multitasking and doing lots of different things as I was watching. And I shit you not, I fully fell asleep midway through the movie. Had to wake up, rewind, and start again. Or start over from where I left off. Because I fell asleep. Because it is that nice little blanket that I need. It made me feel very cozy. It is it is funny that you mention it's something you can fall asleep to. Because I thought that, like, I at one point paused the movie. And I was like, I've got to be at least, I don't know, three quarters of the way through. And I was 30 minutes. Yes, I was one I third of the too. way through the movie. I had that too. And I was like, oh, damn. But what I really liked about it and why this sort of felt like an expanded episode of The Golden Girls is because they really let the characters breathe. There were no big set pieces. There were no car chases. It was just a lot of scenes of people talking. Yeah. And But it, it was all necessary. And it was all like, yes, it's, you know, when you're someone you're, you know, you're widowed and you're going to look up your old high school sweetheart, but you want to talk to your friends about it. And then you go and you see the guy oh and then God. something happens. And then you need to talk to your friends about it some more. And then it's just so many conversations of people like working things out. Yeah. And I didn't find it boring. I found it 
very fascinating to watch. I understood why B. Arthur wanted to do this movie. It's charming. Um, it's a charming it's film. so charming. Yeah. And so this was a TV movie. I found a promo for it on YouTube. Um, so it aired on ABC in the winter of 1988. So, you know, it was obviously competing with the Golden Girls on NBC. Um, but I figured NBC probably let B. Arthur do it because it, was, it wasn't it was a TV show that she was starring well, in. It was, also, a, it was a movie. It was the same production company as... Um, like it still was Disney. There still was a Disney component to it, which Golden Girls is Buena Vista Television. So there is a Disney component to it that probably was where she got in with, you know? Right. Yeah. And in terms of where B was at with her career, I mean, this movie came out in 88, which means she probably filmed it, you know, in the summer of 86 or 87 while the Golden Girls was on hiatus. It was already a hit show. I feel like this was probably a situation where she got a script and was like, oh, this is meaty. This is like really good character stuff. This mm -hmm. feels real. Like I am playing a real three-dimensional woman. Yeah. And I I really I it was so great for her. She was playing Dorothy Spornak. She was playing Dorothy. Yeah. But like it was it was so fun to watch her in this role as a widow. Yeah. There's also, I mean, this television film is Famously known, we've mentioned it on the podcast before because it is known as the one in which B. Arthur decided to raid the closet of Dorothy Zbornak for her costumes for this film. There are multiple, which we will track as we go. Of course, we'll, we probably can't get all of them because I feel like there are a lot. But there are some big, big, big Dorothy Zbornak costumes that make appearances in My First Love. Now, I think just knowing, having friends, and we both have friends who have like done television movies and stuff... I actually think this was shot much closer to when the film aired because television films usually often do that. They're 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 turned around really quickly. And if you if you from when I correlated the outfits, the episodes of the Golden Girls and the outfits they were on, they're almost primarily mostly from season two of the Golden Girls, the outfits that she wore. So I have a feeling she primarily shot this when season two was either shooting or airing or around that time. Definitely wouldn't have been while they were shooting, but they do have a couple months off in the summer. So yeah. it is possible, like you're saying, if they turned it around this quickly, she could have shot it in the summer of 88 and then it, yeah. and then it aired in the because it aired in December. Exactly. So it could have aired in December of 88. So it could have been a very, very quick turnaround for B. Arthur. The other thing that we need to remember about B. Arthur at this point in her career is she was very famous up north for what shoppers drug mart and so many of like i feel like a lot like i feel like when this filmed in canada they were like we're putting shoppers drug marts commercials all over this film like this is going to be a shoppers drug mart bonanza and she was doing that at the time i mean she was she was really this film to me was just fully an extension of dorothy's bornack and it was sort of like a statement that b arthur wanted to make about widows and and single elderly women and their lives and because this film covers it all love sex everything yeah so i actually made a list of like basically why this feels like a sliding doors version of the golden girls and, and which is all the similarities between this and the golden girls so one her character Jean, we're just calling her b throughout this mm -hmm. but her character is a driving instructor and teaches traffic school which is like basically a substitute teacher yeah and she has that same like i'm not going to take any of your bullshit attitude we even see her, her in a classroom i mean we see her in a classroom yeah. um two like you mentioned she wears so much of dorothy's wardrobe from the show three she's from and living in new york city now technically her character is from the bronx not brooklyn but you know she's still from new york city yeah Four, we see her character go bowling and she's really good at it, just like Dorothy. Mm -hmm. Five, one of her high school friends is played by Anne Francis, a.k.a. Trudy of the Dorothy Killed Trudy Party fame. And they go to a high school reunion together. I mean. Soak that in. Six, she has her four best girlfriends who are constantly rallying around her. So it's basically like if they just kept Coco in the show. Yeah. Bam. Done. Yeah. Yeah. Seven. One of Rose's love interests, Impotent Ernie, is in this movie. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The last one is the significance of 35 years. On The Golden Girls, Dorothy was married to Stan for 35 years. And in this movie, it has been 35 years since she has seen not Stan, but Sam, her high school sweetheart. Which so we should say another sliding doors moment, not with The Golden Girls, but with B. Arthur's career. 
the Sam Morrissey, the character, is played by Richard Kiley, who originated the role of Don Quixote in Man of La Mancha right mm-hmm. around the same time B. Arthur was on Broadway with Fiddler on the Roof. So the chances are, and Mame later on in, in other Broadway musicals that he did, they were definitely Broadway veterans together at the same time. They were peers. So I have a feeling there was something between B and Richard, and that was part of the reason why she wanted to do this was because this is an icon of Broadway. Yeah, yeah, that totally makes sense. Yes, they were probably friends. Their chemistry in this movie was so great. Mm-hmm. Um, I One thing, and I know I feel like I talked about this when we, there were so many similarities to me with the Tony Danza, Betty White Christmas movie. Um, the music in this movie was so 80s TV movie. Yep. And oh my God, did they play the shit out of those, some of those music oh, yeah. tracks just over and over and over again. We will play some of it later. Um, but I'm but that was one thing that kind of stood out. The film is supposed to take place, and this isn't like a part of the storyline, so we, uh, that's why I'm talking about it here. The film is supposed to take place in primarily New York, uh, n- both the Hamptons and New York City. And do you think they shot it in New York? Because, like, Well, I can tell you right now. Keep talking. Okay, because so much of the 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 coast sort of scenes and everything were very similar to the California city that they used in Murder, She Wrote, which is just sort of north of San Francisco. And it looked very similar to many of the outside shots on Murder, She Wrote. And also some of the downtown scenes when you see both B and Richard walking around downtown, or excuse me, you know, Gene and Sam walking around downtown New York, it looks very much like downtown Los Angeles to me. Now, it could just be like it's on the east side of New York and that's not as familiar to me. I don't know. And there's a park scene that could possibly be Central Park, maybe. I don't even know. But I did I did think that that was supposed to be Central Park. So it does say, according to IMDb, so who knows, it's saying the filming locations were New York City, Los Angeles, and Santa Monica. So they did okay. shoot some of it in yeah. Los Angeles. Um, just hard to tell what exactly. They did a um, good job because there were parts, I mean, the Hamptons, the other thing that isn't really a part of the story, it is a part of the story, but it made me laugh so much because anyone who has lived in New York and has ever gone to the Hamptons or Fire Island or anywhere on Long Island, you don't take a plane from New York City the Hamptons you don't people just don't do that only very 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 wealthy people do chartered flights from and even then they usually do helicopters they don't necessarily do planes so most people going from New York City to the Hamptons either take the Jitney or the train those are the two or they drive didn't you say though that back in the 80s like basically a plane ticket cost like half a penny no 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 plane travel was i mean yes it was cheaper but it definitely wasn't cheap necessarily especially for a commuter flight from like a tiny plane from new york city that would be a special flight that wouldn't be a normal flight i don't i don't know i remember when i was a teenager going to um Maui with my family and we took a little plane from like the main island to Maui and yeah. and that was just like I, I it wasn't well, like that's, a, ooh, a special experience that's different because that is a, a necessity of that of that state whereas mm-hmm. like commercial flights probably were cheaper in the 1980s because it's economical because you have lots of people flying on one plane whereas flying yeah. from New York flying from New York City to the Hamptons for just like a regular flight between the two that was so rare. That would not have yeah. happened. That made me laugh so much because it was just like, it just wouldn't happen. But I loved it nonetheless. Yeah, it was great. Um, we have so much to talk about. Should we take a break and then yes. get right into it? We most certainly should. we're back. So when we meet B. Arthur's character, um, it's been almost a year since her husband, Martin, died. You know, she's dealing with the grief. She's still living in the house. Um, you know, she has his bathroom, his bathrobe still hanging up in the bathroom where he kept it. Like these sort of small details that are very powerful when you're talking about grief. Mm-hmm. Um, and her friend, Ruth, who I love, Ruth is sort of like 
the sort of like number one friend in the friend group who's Played always by giving Barbara her the advice Barry, and stuff. Great character actress. You you would recognize her from many different things. And she was so so great in this. And Ruth is like, look, it's been a year, basically, like, I'm not saying you should be over it, but maybe you kind of need to stop wallowing in your pity and get out there and be social and maybe open your heart to something. Uh, And Ruth finds love letters from one of B's high school crushes, Sam Morrissey. He's a real, like, Barry Glick, if you will. Um, He is the sort of what if person in her life, the one that got away, um, and I think like what's interesting is that, you know, she was married for all of these years, B's character. She probably thought about this guy, but obviously she was never going to do anything about it. But now that she's widowed, she suddenly has this opportunity, yeah. um, you know, as presented by her friends at lunch in probably the least creatively named burger place on the planet. Can I talk about this lunch spot? Because it gave me when I was a kid, when I was a little kid, and I don't know why. I don't know why we had to spend time with my grandpa. I'm sure my parents were doing something. But my grandpa, every single morning, would go in the Midwest. It's called Hardee's. On the coast, it's called Carl's Jr. Every single morning, we would go to Hardee's to have breakfast with my grandpa. He would leave us at a table, me and my little brother. And my grandpa would go sit with his friends. And they would all just drink endless cups of coffee and talk. And it reminded me so much of that. Of being the little kid watching his grandpa just have fun with his friends and me being probably very bored eating endless amounts of biscuits and gravy. (laughs) (laughs) I love picturing a young H. Allen Scott doing this. Uh, Well, I have. So we have the clip of um, B and her friends as they're trying to convince her to um, maybe meet up with this guy and keep an ear out for Trudy's voice. Um, She plays the character Terry in the friend group. I'd hardly compare a, a lady's luncheon at Burgers Burgers with a 40th high school reunion. Oh, come on, Jean, you've got to go. I'm sorry I didn't call. I've been a lousy friend. Yes, you have, Terry. Well, you know, you never know who you might see there. Look, I have happily missed all my high school reunions. I have no intention of starting. Now, if there was anyone that I wanted to see, I would have looked him or her up. Jean, please, you'll have fun there'll be a lot of singles there will somebody please tell terry that i'm only listening to my current friends today how can you pass up seeing the post-war pinup queen (laughs) (laughs) betty meet me in the bushes brambles (laughs) it's very tempting but i'll pass Oh, what about Mark Grossman? Oh, no, I hope he doesn't sing Oklahoma. He will. He will. Now you can take pictures for me. <laughs> Even Sam Morrissey's? Sam Morrissey. Oh, there is a man. Not one word. So, okay. Mm. I never thought about this. In watching that scene, I mean, I never even think about high school reunions because I think they're bullshit, but... I never thought of them being an opportunity to meet other people from your past who are single. Like, as you get older, of course, spouses die, divorces happen, like things happen. And I never thought of a high school reunion as being an opportunity to date. I mean, yeah. But it makes sense. Yeah, it totally makes sense. It's... Yeah, it's that it's that thing of like it's it's the what if it's the it's the person who you dated when you were younger or, you know, you sort of were interested in each other, but maybe the timing wasn't right. And then now all these years later, an opportunity has presented itself for B. And now it's kind of on her to find out where he's at. Um, I would only go back to my high school reunion at older, like years down. We're talking like 40th high school reunion. Um only to see all of the straight guys that I hooked up with and see if they actually, like, after they've had their relationships and they've lived their lives, if they finally realize the error of their ways, if you will, like, see, maybe, and then be like, yep, I'm still gay. Like, yeah. that would be yeah, that would be nice. To see who is kind of <laughs> living a truth and who was not. Yeah. Um, two things about this scene. I love the place is called Burgers Burgers, which just, like, made me laugh. It just felt like a placeholder for the writer, and then they forgot to change it. Um, and then also, if you noticed, B in this scene is wearing Dorothy's paperclip earrings yep. that I've talked about multiple times on the podcast. Yeah. Um, so then we actually, they convince B to go to the high school reunion 
Um, seeing the sign that said class of 48 made me feel so young. Uh, <laughs> and this is where we have our first Dorothy Svornak outfit yes. sighting. Yes. It is the bow tie, green and white sort of like velvety outfit that, that B wore in the season two episode called Love Rose, where Dorothy and Blanche play like set up a fictional man for Rose on a date, Isaac P. Newton or Q. Newton, excuse me. And it's that episode where the date happens and it turns out it's a real person and all that fun stuff. And Blanche's outfit in that episode is also really good. She's wearing that red sequin top that's really low cut with the mesh. It's really cute. Oh, but I love that one. The bow tie outfit is classic Dorothy. Also, classic. In, in researching that episode where that outfit came from, I also think B. Arthur wore that outfit to award shows or to events and stuff as well. Like she wore that outfit out. You know, you find a good outfit. Maybe it was like tailored for her. Oh, yeah. You know, when something looks good on you, I mean, I stole so much of my wardrobe from the IMDb show. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so. I have one, my go-to nice outfit now. Our good friend of the podcast, Elliot Glazer, had a birthday party um, the other day. And it wasn't a party. It was like a small, small gathering on a boat so that we could do a sunset cruise that everyone ended up getting very sick on, except for me. It was very funny. But I have one outfit that I wear for all my special occasions, and it's this one black bodysuit. It's very baggy. It's very Dorothy. It's very everything. I wear a big brim hat. I wear a black bodysuit. I got my bag, and I go to the thing, and I let people compliment my bodysuit, and then... I leave and I see it again four months later. I love it. I love that you pair it with a sensible hat. All you always need a hat. Always. Mm. But in that mm -hmm. in that situation, I felt like I needed a hat for the boat. Yeah. You just need to make sure it's secure and it doesn't blow off. Cause once you lose your hat to the ocean, I mean, you're it's never gone. getting that back. It's gone. Yeah, the hat's gone. So we're at the high school reunion. Um, her crush Sam Morrissey isn't there, but a creepy dude corners her and is like what did you look like when you were young? And it was, I was, you're backing away from your microphone because you're, I can, you're reliving it and feeling mm -hmm. uncomfortable with me right now. Um, the dude was weird. She has a terrible time. And her friend Ruth is like, look, B, just because Sam didn't come to the reunion doesn't mean you shouldn't reach out to him. So B writes him a letter and sends it in the mail, which is so refreshing. There I love so receiving. Many, there are so many moments. I where love getting letters. This is, I have an envelope here. It's a torn up bill. Literally B at the mailbox, she does it. This is what I love about TV movies because they have so much screen time to fill that there isn't always enough dialogue to fill it. There is a shot of B looking at the letter. She reflects, she smiles, she sort of gives it a little kiss and then she puts it in the box. It is the longest process of putting a letter in a mailbox and it is. it made me so happy. It was, she definitely took her time with it. Um, I like... Yeah, it, it's letters are so nice. It's like it's like having a Polaroid photo, you know, it's mm -hmm. like versus one that you take on your phone. There's only one copy. It feels yeah. so special. It's Which a physical is why thing you can hold in your hand for the holidays. I send out my Sadie cards with my photo on it because I feel I like I feel like it's a nice little like you can hang it up if you like or you can throw it away, you know. Mine is still hanging up in the doorway. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a year round. Um, so, uh, so B, just like with Isaac Q. Newton and Rose, B gets a letter back in the mail from Sam yeah. and she's gardening with her daughter when she receives it. And I would like to play this moment, not just so we can hear her thoughts about opening the letter and receiving the letter, but also just so you can get an idea about the music that is constantly playing in this movie. What's the matter, mom? What is it? Uh, uh, nothing, nothing, nothing. Mom, no one stands there shaking over coupons. Oh, my God. What is it? He <laughs> sent me a plane ticket. <laughs> I mean, okay. even though it's so, ridiculous, I love it. <laughs> This I'm realizing now just hearing the music, it also there was like a certain era of Disney movies. Yes, that, I was that thinking piano, that too. It feels very much like, like somewhere out there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's just there's something so there's just, it's a time capsule, that music with these yes. types of movies. So 
The plane tickets are to visit him in the Hamptons. This is really starting to feel like a Nancy Myers movie. I am here for it. At first, B doesn't want to go, but her friend Ruth convinces her. And so she's like, fuck it, I'm going. Her friends see her off to the airport. And in a very pre-9-11 scene, do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yes. B. Arthur goes through the metal detectors. They beep like crazy. And the agent is like, "Um, excuse me, ma'am, do you have metal on you? And she goes... No, I'm just excited. And then he just shrugs and lets her keep walking toward the plane. <laughs> I mean, the things we got away with before 9-11. Uh, yeah. So um, another thing I've noticed, so she gets on the plane. Another thing I've noticed about these TV movies, they did it in this one. They did it in the Tony Danza Christmas movie with Betty White. They need characters to always be talking. Yes. They don't like showing B-roll footage without a main character or background characters having like a little chit chat. So in this movie, and we're going to play part of this scene, we're watching footage of like, it's just like a little plane coming in for a landing. And like, it could have just been the plane coming in for a landing and over music and that's it. But no, the whole time they have B. Arthur's voiceover coming at us as if it's from inside the plane, like she's directing it how to land because, you know, she's a driving instructor. So let's play that bit. Very good. Light up on the accelerator now. Now, you have a nice wide lane. Check the rearview mirror. You're swerving. Hold it steady. Better. Better. Okay, apply your brakes gently. Keep braking. It's so stupid. It goes on for like another minute, by the way. And again, just to reiterate, we're not seeing B. Arthur. No. We're just seeing a plane coming in for a landing, just so everybody's clear. Yes. Um. Anyway, they do that so much in this movie. They did it in the Tony Danza movie. Like, I don't know... Like, what are we so afraid I think, of? I think they, I, in this instance, I thought they, I think they think it's funny because the film opens with a voiceover as well of B. Arthur in a car giving a another woman a driving lesson. And that's for and, budget reasons, well, for sure. Yes, of course. <laughs> but, but I think it's sort of a callback to that because you see it in other instances too. There's even a moment coming up where she corrects the driving of Sam. So like... It's a thing where it's just what the character does in any situation when she's being transported anywhere. She does. Yeah. This, and it was you know? a it was a fun runner for sure. Yeah. Um. So uh, then there's also a funny runner where B keeps seeing older men with white hair and just assuming they're Sam because she hasn't seen him for 35 years. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I this for if you haven't seen somebody for 35 years, it makes sense. I'm embarrassed to admit a friend of mine who I wrote with on a show who I, I haven't seen in maybe four years. Mm-hmm. Um, if we did the show that I wrote on, we did a, a sort of like a, a meetup at one of the WGA strike pickets. Yeah. And I kept thinking that I saw my friend, but it wasn't him. It was somebody that just kind of looked like him. <laughs> and I was with the other writers of the show. And this guy sort of slowly started walking up to us. And I looked at him and I went, is it you? And oh, he my went, God. <laughs> is it me? And I went, wait. And he went, who are you? And I was like, I'm so sorry, because he was walking up to the check-in desk. And my other friends looked at me and they were like, Oh my God, like what's wrong with you? This is why I firmly believe that you should never say it's nice to meet you. It should always be it's nice to see you. It's nice to see you. Because Mm -hmm. I can't, I have, I am horrible at remembering people and things and I'm horrible at it. So even at shows and stuff, if people come to the shows, I I often just say it's nice to see you because I assume you've come to another show. We've met before. We've corresponded in some other way. You know what I mean? To be clear, this is someone who is a dear friend of mine. Yes, true. That's a little bit more awkward. It's a little bit more awkward. For some reason, for some reason, I kept imagining that he'd shaved his facial hair. Maybe you're and face I was blind. Like, Maybe you're face blind. I'm not face blind. It was like a weird, it just happened and it was very bizarre. And I just kind of went up to the student. I went, is it you? And he's like, what? <laughs> uh, anyway, so don't do that. Um so, so yeah, so um, Sam picks her up from um, the airport. He looks good. Yeah, he um, does. He looks good. 
There is genuine chemistry between them. Like you can tell he wants her. He stands so close to her when uh-huh. he's talking to her. Uh-huh. Um, so again, they're they're driving. So they leave the airport. There, she at first also doesn't know if she really wants to stay. She sees him and she's like, "Okay, I'm going to go now." Like you can tell she's very hesitant about this whole thing because she knows it's going to open up a can of well, worms. It's a ner- I mean, you haven't seen someone for 35 years and you fly to see them all by yourself, even though. You're technically only like 75 miles away from your home. Yeah. Still, like it's it's that flight must have been 10 minutes, by the way. Sorry, I'm, I can't get over the flight. <laughs> yes, it was probably a very quick flight. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so he picks her up. They, they you know, they, she does decide to stay. Um, and again, they're they're driving in a car sort of along like the coastal highway. And there is ADR voiceover of just the two of them making small talk inside the car instead of the director just letting us enjoy the scenery. Again, what are we so scared of? Yeah. Uh, then we get to see B. Arthur walking on a beach barefoot yeah. with rolled up jeans, a white T-shirt and a blue windbreaker. And I was like, oh, she looks so good in just casual yeah. beach weekend wear. Yeah. She looked amazing. Then we get Dorothy outfit sighting number two when she and Sam go to dinner and she's wearing her silk Barney the dinosaur green and purple suit with the yellow blouse underneath. Mm -hmm. What episode is that from? That is from season two, episode three. Take him. He's mine. Where Blanche goes on a date with Stan as a favor for Dorothy. And then Dorothy gets a little PO'd when the two of them get along a little too well. Yes. And I have a feeling I think she wears that that outfit in multiple episodes because i and, feel like we talk about it and she wore it out in public as well i found those pictures too. i love that i love that, I love that so she did much. that wait so on this date so eventually they go from french restaurant to the beach to to uh, no to a cafe or to a diner right they ended a diner they go bowling bowling that's right and then they go to the diner no at the diner, they talked about sloppy joes, and that's something that stuck out, stood out in my mind. Are you a sloppy joe girl? So it stood out in my mind too. That's why I had you play the grab the clip, and we'll oh. play it in a second. Okay. No, no, you don't have to play it yet. When I was a kid, that was like a staple meal. Like it was in the rotation Same. of meals, you know, that my family would make. They'd get like the sloppy joe powder packet mix yep. or however you made it. Yeah. Um, and then you'd just get like hamburger buns. The sloppy Joe was such a staple of my childhood on a level that it has become like something that I, and, and what's so funny about it is I, I have such nostalgia and love for it, but it has literally in the name, one of the things that pisses me off most about food when it's sloppy. I hate sloppy food. <laughs> I hate drippy food. I hate anything that's going to make a mess. I hate when you ha- when you can't touch anything else because your fingers are too much of a mess. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. However, I love sloppy joes. And if you've never experienced a sloppy joe, ooh, and if you, I mean, I, I now want just to go buy the can and like do the sloppy joe can ground beef thing. But the is that what we used to do? Well, maybe no, a, maybe no, I'm thinking is, of like no, hamburger helper. No, you're right. There is so like my family also did the powder one because it was cheaper, and so we would get the ground beef and the powder and then the tomato paste or something, and you would kind right. of do it all together, and it was sort of a cheaper route to go. But the can, which was always the name brand Sloppy Joe, was always right. more expensive, so we never got that. Right. Then yeah. we probably got, yeah, whatever was cheaper was probably what we got. Oof, um, yeah, joes. I'm, I can like a picture that I can like imagine the taste of a sloppy Joe's right now. It's so, the so good. I would never try to make it homemade either. Yeah. No, All right. Never. Let's, uh, let's play the sloppy Joe's clip. But I suddenly had this mad urge. Yes. For sloppy Joe's. Oh, oh. Oh, sloppy Joe. You remember the time your parents were away and we made sloppy Joe's and camped all night in your bedroom? We were playing Parcheesi. My poor mother. She complained about those burnt pots till the day she died. Well, it could have been worse. Thank God for the creaky stairs and the fire escape outside your window. B. Arthur's reaction the sloppy joes the moaning mm. the the slow realization of how wonderful it is is mm-hmm. actually me in bed <laughs> it was very much like an i'll have what she's having moment yes. um yeah. 
Also, the way they're talking about Sloppy Joes, it sounds like code. Like they were yeah. doing something sloppy. Yeah. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Uh-huh. Um, Parche- sideways like, Parcheesi. <laughs> exactly. Like you can tell these are two people who are remembering in the moment uh-huh. the fiery passion that they had for each other. Yep. And it's like it's right there on the surface. And that's what was so exciting about this movie is that all of their emotions and feelings and nostalgia and passion and anger and everything was always right on the surface with them. And that's what I love. Um, and at uh, one point, so like you said, they're, you know, th- this, this whole little like montage with them, it's wish fulfillment, right? She's gone and met up with this guy. They go to a French dinner. They go for a drive on the coastal highway. They go bowling, golfing, parking at the beach with champagne. Um, it's so, so great. And at one point she takes her shoes off um, because she wants to pretend she's sneaking back into her parents' house. But I feel like this wasn't in the script and it was just B. Arthur being like, I don't want to wear shoes in this scene. Yeah. Yeah. I love it so much. Oh, should we maybe take a little break and come back and talk more about this wonderful movie? Yes, we should. So Sam walks B back to her hotel. This is where she takes her shoes off. Um, and he definitely wants to hook up, but she's not ready. Respect. Mm-hmm. So she gives him a gentle kiss and sends him on his way. And I have to say that I respect B. Arthur or her character for not feeling obligated to hook up with this guy just yeah. because he bought a plane ticket for Why her to go there. She? And yes. I know that the plane tickets, you know, probably were dirt cheap, whatever. But, you know, they're, you know, because she was the one who had reached out, I feel like women in that type of situation might have felt pressure to like. Well, you know, the type of woman that would feel that pressure is coming up and we're going to meet her real soon. And I have some things to say about her. Oh, about Ms. Joan Van Ark. But B. Arthur is not that type of lady. Right. So... Uh, speaking of Joan Van Ark, so Sam admits to B um, that, you know, this is what this is what really sucks is that they've had such a great weekend together. I'm assuming it's just been a weekend. And he's like, you know, goes to see her the next day. And he's like, look, you know, since my divorce, you know, I had been seeing a woman for a couple years, uh, but we broke up. And hey, she called me last night and she said that she still loves me and I still love her, but also B, I'm having a really fun time hanging out with you and I have feelings for you. Which I give him credit for being upfront about that because most Absolutely. most men I do not feel like in this situation in TV films would be upfront and that would drive the yeah. story and it would be annoying. Whereas this man is being direct. Yep. So B is like, Okay, yep, I'm just going to go Peace. back home. Yeah. Goes home. Peace out. Yeah. Sam's girlfriend is played by Joan Van Ark, who we're just going to call her Joan of Ark for the rest of this <laughs> podcast. She is young and sexy, which the movie tells us by introducing us to her as she strolls outside in a leopard print bikini holding cocktails while Kenny G I sexy mean, saxophone music plays. You know, you know, if Joan Van Ark comes out of your house in a sexy bikini... It's trouble. It is trouble, trouble, trouble. And Joan Van Ark, we know her from Knott's Landing. She was doing a Knott's Landing here, and it's drama. You know what was not landing? <laughs> I didn't have a B-side to that joke because I just thought of it. I don't know. <laughs> um, here's what I loved about her character. The movie did not make her out to be some kind of gold digger. True. Um, you know, she makes very good money. She likes to buy Sam things like bolo ties, which are all the rage. You know, she pushes him to work out and stay fit and eat super healthy. Um, basically, she wants to prolong Sam's life and he just kind of wants to enjoy it. You know, like yeah. B was eating sloppy joes with him. He wants to eat sloppy joes. She wants him to drink like green juice, you know. Yeah. Um, but what I did like about Sam and I almost said Sam and Diane, Sam and Joan of Arc is that there was a little bit of like a Stanley Chrissy vibe, yes. you know, where he was a little bit older and trying to keep up with her. And she's like, you know, younger and fit and sexy. But um, yeah. she also wants to have kids, which, you know, he does not. Which I mean, um, I don't want to be ageist or anything here. However, 
Just like on the Golden Girls, when they were very colorful with the ages of um, the actors playing the characters, they also were very colorful with the ages of the actors in this film as well. Because at some point she says she's 40, and I'm like, there's no way Joan Van Ark was 40 at this point in her career. She had to be pushing 50, and she was. I don't think kids... Oh, I bought it. I mean, I bought... She's gorgeous, and I would buy it too, but I also was like... This is a Room of Clanahan moment where they're shaving off 10 years from this actress's life. And I am That's here so for funny. it. Yes. I had no idea. So um, so we do see Sam and Joan of Arc together a little bit. And we see that, like, again, they're, all of these characters' relationships are very three-dimensional. You can tell they've been together for a couple of years. Yeah. They know each other really well. They do love each other. And but you can he's tell clearly he, having he, oh, he, Yes, he wants out. He's having a hard time. He's having yeah. a hard time. So he travels to the city to visit B at driving school to try to talk to her, and she is not having it. No. And this is really the first kind of blow up we see between them, which there are a lot in this movie, um, yeah. and I think we should play it. Yes. Twisted your arm to send me that plane ticket. Nobody twisted your arm to wine, dine, and deceive me. Deceive you? You wrote to me. Oh, always that phony Mr. Nice Guy. Always that disgusting charm. You could fail an exam and pass on your smile. You could snap your fingers and have the entire nursing staff fall at your feet. But not me. Oh, no, you are much classier. You just ran off with the first available pair of pants in sight. After you dumped me. I never dumped oh, you. what about Joyce Abrams, huh? Studying for exams. For two months. Oh. I don't believe this. There was never anybody else but you. That's all in your screwed up little head. Garbage. You never even looked at me once you got into medical school. I was great for the senior prom, but not the precious med ball. You had the pooping cough. With you, it is always excuses, one after another. You know something? I really have a good mind to leave. Great, leave. Fine, I will. Coward! You know what this reminded me of? Because a lot of what B is fighting here is actually kind of petty and ridiculous. And, like, you know, you can tell she's been stewing and creating this whole narrative in her head the whole time. It kind of reminded me of the fight between Dorothy and the cop. That it was so absurd that what the things, the petty little things that they were fighting each over, that it actually was all sexual tension. I... Again, you and I, you can tell this is how long we've been friends. I literally wrote their back and forth tit for tat was just like <laughs> her and Al, the detective, pent up passion disguised as rage. I said the same thing. Um, I also love how B doesn't put up with his shit, just like Dorothy with Stan. Like yeah. she's like, I've been through too much at this age. I'm not playing games. I'm 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 well into my years. I don't have time for this shit. But yes, it was, I did really love the rhythm of their back yeah. and forth. It was so much like Dorothy and Detective Al. Mm -hmm. And this convo continues oh. down a street, into a cab, out of a cab. Um, you know, there's a breaking point when he finally says, look, we probably never even loved each other. Like yeah. that was too much for her at that point. And what's really interesting, again, just because this is a movie instead of a TV show and you really give these characters and their relationships time to breathe and like mm -hmm. really get to know them. It's almost like all of the time that passed, you know, cause she hasn't seen him for 35 years. It made B forget about all the problems that her and Sam had together. Only the good memories were left behind. And now that, you know, she spent this entire weekend with him and he's like, Oh, so I may love somebody else. All of a sudden, it's like everything that he did that got under her skin, it all came rushing back well, to her. Isn't that and like, I feel like any any fight in a relationship when you really like someone? Is that like the worst? We can say the worst things to the people that we love because it's like we know them so well that like when we love them, we love all of the amazing things about them. But then when we are angry at them, we can think of the pettiest, smallest. We can bring back a a detail from three years ago that this person has probably long forgot about that you've been stewing on for three years and just waiting for this one moment for this one fight. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's, it's a, it's a very normal relationship thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So again, in this movie, they are hot and cold, hot and cold. It's like a faucet that gets yeah. switched because all of a sudden they, they sort of kind of make up and he goes back to her place and they sit on the floor and they start kissing. And yeah. then like respect to be, she quickly stops it and goes like, 
hang on, what's going on with Joan of Arc? What is it that you want? Yeah. And he's like, look, I don't want to be with Joan of Arc. She wants kids. I don't. What I do want to do, B. Arthur, is spend more time with you. Who wouldn't? Exactly. She's fucking Beatrice Arthur. Yeah. Um. So, but then, yeah. Th- then B's <laughs> daughter comes home and it's all like, oh, something's up. And it kind of almost like shifts B a little bit. Like it, 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 it changes something in her. Yeah. Yes. Her daughter was like clearly not comfortable with it and like and i get it like, I get like your it dad too. and he yeah. died like a year ago i and totally it's, get it's it whatever the house your mom shared with your dad i get it yes and again we go like there's so much back and forth between like so then b's like not into it and then she is into it and then she's not into it there's a lot of but you guys just have to watch the movie which is too much for us to talk about but yeah, it's really, he goes really and stays in a hotel mm-hmm. just to be respectful to b's daughter but then the next day more drama ensues. Yeah. So B so Joan of Arc shows up at this hotel room and she basically assaults win. him. She assaults him. She assaults him. She shows up and basically starts taking her clothes off. Um oh and before that uh wait okay no not before that she um again there's just there's so much of, of B and Sam going off and on I'm getting confused but well, B's in the um, lobby B's in the lobby B's waiting in the for lobby yeah. and when she shows up to the hotel room Joan Van Ark is there coming out of the shower yes. and B's like oh no 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 and he's like no this isn't what it looks like and she's like okay again it's it's Which, a lot of on and off and on and off she's wearing kind of like a denim jacket in this spot and I swear mm-hmm. to god it's the same denim jacket that she wears in a later episode of the Golden Girls during the Dick Van Dyke episode when she's in court and the whole Save the Dolphins thing happens. Oh. Like, I swear I, it's the same jacket. I didn't notice the denim jacket. What I was wondering is um, the pink silk nightgown that oh. she's wearing. I wasn't sure if that I was thought that too, Girls. but I couldn't find any references. I tried to look for that. Yeah, I, I wasn't 100%. And guys, if you're if you watch this and you notice other outfits that we didn't mention, please, by all means, in the comments for this episode, let us know. Send us a photo side by side. We yeah. will post it because there but is, I feel like there's so much more to find. There is a great moment that like, when B did this little thing, and I have a feeling it was probably B's idea. I hope it was because it's exactly what I would do in this situation. So Joan of Arc comes out of the shower and she's all like, oh, sensitivity of my disturbing things. And then, of course, B's immediately like, nah, 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 nah. And she like gets up and walks out of the room. But then she goes back for the donuts. She came with donuts. <laughs> She put them on the table, but 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 Sam had ordered a big breakfast and and whatever. Oh well, actually Joan of Arc ordered the big breakfast, but like whatever. B went back for the donuts, and that is a my move one thousand percent. You never leave the donuts. Yeah, that's a really good. That's a really good point. That 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 was a real like um. You know, there's no reason why my mother shouldn't have the cookies exactly. moment. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, so they have a fight and the fight extends out into the park and they're again fighting in the streets once again. <laughs> I know. I, I I got I lost count of how many times they were like, like screaming at each other and then just laughing and being like, wow, what the fuck? And he falls um, in the water. Yeah, I think that's where he falls in like the pond at Central Park or yeah. whatever. Um so Joan of Arc. So now we're we're in a moment where like B and Sam are kind of they're they're seeing they're each other and they're together. And Joan of Arc is having a hard time dealing with it. And there's a really nice scene um, where Joan comes to the door with some candy for B. Oh, don't tell me your briefcase again. Hello. Hello. I almost didn't recognize you with your clothes on. Sam's at the hospital. These are for you. What's in them? Just in case the paramedics get here in time. I'm half kidding. No, that's all right. I deserve it for my poor behavior. I deserve whatever I get. Yeah. There should be... This, but this is the one part of the film that I'm kind of like, we didn't need it. And I have a feeling it was the star power of Joan of Arc that, like, made this part of the film necessary. But I actually don't. For fans of B. Arthur, we don't want this part. But there's this whole bit about 
Sam feeling guilty because Joan of Arc is shockingly turning 40 again. And, and so he has to go to her party and B supports him in this. And it turns out to be another situation where she's kind of like falling apart and falling into him. Yeah. So I'm with you on that. I will say, well, first, I mostly asked you to pull that clip so that we could add, I'm half kidding to the soundboard right next to, I'm not <laughs> kidding. Um, but, you know, B, B ends up inviting Joan of Arc into her house. And in this moment, before we get to the next scene, like, I actually was like, oh, I like that they're not enemies. They respect each other in this scene. They're being vulnerable with each other. Only to learn that the reason Joan of Arc was inviting B and Sam to her 40th birthday was because she was going to try to hatch up exactly. some scheme to get him back. And I was like, no, what I would have liked. This was the one part, like, I think with you, I it took a little umbrage here. with it, which is like, if anything, you know, if anything, instead of her trying to be double crossing and trying to get him back, like, let them go to the party and then... Yeah let him have a moment with her where she's turning 40 and maybe he real he thinks maybe I do still have feelings for her. Like let it be more complicated than just like, cause I was so happy that they were just didn't make these two women enemies yeah. and that they were like, you know what, let's like maybe make them friends a little bit, or at least like on good terms with each other, respect each other. Um, because she was saying things in that conversation with B where she's like, you know, look, I was there in, and again, she's being very vulnerable in this moment, but after she invites them both, you know, to her 40th birthday party, you know, she says to be like, look, you don't know him anymore. He's a totally different person from back then. I was there for his son's graduation. I was there for his midlife life crisis. And she thinks that B and Sam are just gonna, together for nostalgia's sake and that soon they'll run out of old stories to relive and he'll just be a stranger and he'll walk out on B just like he walked out on her, just like he walked out on his wife. It's like a real like Glenn O'Brien. Well, like, this is not a good situation. I, mean, I will say. I Well, I don't know, because didn't we don't know that he cheated on his wife, but like we know he has. Well, she says he walked out on her. Yeah. So he has complicated relationships with women. So that is a red flag. That is a red flag that you have to take in consideration when you're with someone like that. And I respected that B did like she actually yeah. went to him and she's like, look, I'm worried that you're going to leave me just like you left Joan yeah, yeah. of Arc. You know, she's like, look, if you really wanted to be with me, you would have asked me to marry you all those years ago. Yeah. And she freaks out and she leaves. So then he goes, Sam finds her in the city. And I don't know. I thought this was kind of like a lame excuse, but he's like, look. I failed with those other women because I could never admit how much I needed them. And I need you. Yeah. And then he's like, I want to marry you. And she's like, okay. Uh, like, yeah. Um, but she, but like, she says it in this whole, like she turns to him and there's a long pause and she's like, are you for real this time? Like, <laughs> like it's, yeah. 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 And, and then she's like, what the hell? My mother always wanted me to marry a doctor. I mean, and I feel like this what the hell attitude is kind of what we've been seeing from her kind of yeah. the whole movie. Um, and then she's like, yeah, I'll marry you. And then the credits roll. And yeah. over the credits, we see B and Sam riding in a carriage being pulled by a horse whose urine was surely not made into Primarin. There, <laughs> there was a bit before all of this, before they got married, that I thought that we skipped over that I wanted to bring up. That there's a great phone call that I that felt a little bit out of the norm for the the film but i'm glad they included it and it was b arthur getting ready to have sex with with sam and feeling unsure and she calls her friend and you know she's talking about you know, her friend who's married like how often her and her husband have sex and it's been a long time and and they and it's sort of like it's it's she's sort of like well it's not a bad thing it's been a long time she's just, i don't know this isn't this is foreign to me this is it isn't is it like riding a bike and it's it was a nice I think it was a very relatable thing to a lot of people that age watching this film. If they were also around that age or widowed or whatever it was. And I think I think it was a good thing to include. I was really glad they included that. Yeah, yeah. There were it, yeah, there were like smaller details that you could tell there was some real life experience coming from like the writers or somebody who you know, um, who decided to include that. Like I said, that to me, the hanging up of the bat, you know, the fact that his, her dead husband's bathrobe was still hung up in the same spot in the bathroom was like, 
that visual for me was like, I was like, that's yeah. such a specific thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's so, so true but, too. Yeah. Yeah. But I, overall, I really, I really oh, thoroughly enjoyed if you're, this movie. If you're a fan of the Golden Girls and you're a fan of Dorothy Spornak fan fiction of Dorothy out in the real world, this TV film is for you. Go in the show notes, click the YouTube, watch it. If you're watching this years from now and it's no longer on YouTube, just do a deep search of the internet and you will enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Just definitely watch it. It's so good. And it's, you, 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 hey, if you need a melatonin, you don't want to take a melatonin, maybe you could also watch it and fall asleep and get up and then rewind it. It worked for me. It was so good. All right. Should we take a break and come back with some golden takeaways? Yes, we should. I'm half kidding. And we are back with our golden takeaways, which is a nugget of truth or inspiration that you can apply to your life or the lives of our listeners. Carrie, what's your golden takeaway from this film? My first My love. golden takeaway is to the listeners. If there is someone in your life and it's like the one who got away, the what if person where like the time was never right. If you are currently in a position like B was in this movie to explore it, do it. Put some feelers out, write a letter, make a phone call, slip into somebody's DMs, send a carrier pigeon. Just that way you won't live the rest of your life not knowing because uh -huh. you will think about it. Yeah. I like That's that. my golden takeaway. My golden takeaway is similar, but the opposite advice. I <laughs> recently um, was at a party. I was hosting a party. I was in drag and I was there. Uh, Michael wasn't there. I was there alone. And I mean, there were lots of people there, but Michael was not with me. And uh, this person who I had had a thing with off and on for a couple of years, but they got away. They got away. They came to the party and they didn't recognize me at first because I was in drag, you know, and they apparently were not following me, even though I'm immensely more famous than they are. And <laughs> they they uh, they were surprised that it was me. And then they became very flirtatious and curious about me. And they were very interested in me. And then they they looked up some stuff about me because the friend of mine told me that they were doing that and they were like, oh, you should. And I'm like, oh, we have a history. Anyway, um, I realized that the one that got away needs to stay away. <laughs> and but it's good that you have that closure, It is right? good. It is good that I have that closure because I, I recognize that I am, um, well, like I said, immensely more famous than they are. But <laughs> I, I'm better than they are. I don't need that. I, they didn't really get away, even though I enjoyed them at the time, I recognized that they were emblematic of that point in my life. And so the thing that got away was not the person, it was the moment in my life. And oh, wow. Yeah. And it mm -hmm. wasn't, it had mm -hmm. nothing to really do with him. It had everything to do with my state of mind at the moment. And right. I got away from that and I'm the better for it. So I'm not missing anything, if you know what I mean. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can't, you're not you're it you you got to you got to see what the present day situation yes. would look like yes. and instead of continuing to live in the nostalgia of the past mm -hmm. it's not like that anymore because no. both lives are very very different that's very a really different. interesting and yeah I'm, 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 I'm sure he's in a lovely place i don't know but i am in a very lovely place and i looked amazing and so and as you always do when as i drag. always do and people were talking to me and so you know i mean it just happens that some of us win and some of us lose and he lost wow <laughs> well i'm not evil at all note, i am not evil at all i'm a little bit of rose no I guess. you're I'm, not you're being totally honest and open and vulnerable with our audience oh, and this yes. is what we're here to do as well as talk about the golden girls <laughs> Um, wow, everybody, that has been another episode of Out on the Lanai. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you will watch this motion picture because it's amazing. And we will catch you back here next week for more Golden Girls greatness. Mm -hmm. And guys, remember, we are a part of Mom Moogles and Media. So go, please follow them and subscribe to Mom Plus. And you can follow us on social media at Golden Girls Pod on Twitter. Out on the Lanai official on Instagram, Golden Girls Pod on Facebook. And I am Sadie Pines and H. Allen Scott, H. Allen Scott, on everything. 
And I'm Squidzy on Instagram and Squid Eat Squid on Twitter. And if you have a moment, please rate and review us wherever you get this podcast, because the more ratings we get, the more the show will get bumped up, up bumped up, the more people will discover it and join our lovely kick-ass community of Golden Girls fans. And as always, remember, stay golden! Stay golden.